0: Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley, and I am your host of Love, Lust and Laughter. My guest, David Steinberg, has been with me before, many times over the years. And he's a longtime friend. And um, he's in, in in the past, David and I have talked about one of his books, this thing we call sex uh published in 2015 isn't that right david
1: 2015 uh th- um i think this that's call-
0: right yeah. yeah so i just i really like michael castleman's quote um in at the beginning of the book because michael castleman is also a friend of mine and has been on this program a number of times but he says Wherever Steinberg ventures, his explorations take us closer to the heart of this thing we call sex. In Steinberg's view, sex is who we are, how we live, how we experience desire, yearning, joy, and life. Uh, That's very perceptive. And this afternoon, my longtime friend David and I will discuss open relationships and L-A-T, Living Apart Together. And uh, he and uh, David and his partner Kim of 17 years practice both. And so we'll have a very interesting discussion. So please stay tuned. Welcome back to Love, Lust and Laughter, David. Thanks,
1: Diana, good to be talking with you.
0: Yes, good. And um, yesterday we had a pre-interview as I always try to do with my guests. And um, you talked very eloquently about your open relationship um, with Kim, uh, your relationship of 17 years. And I would like for you to share share about that, and then we'll go on to a more general discussion about open relationships, uh, also called EMT, um, standing for uh, Ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy, yes. You were telling me about you and Kim yesterday giving each other freedom and uh and yes, talk about that and your worming ceremony. That's fascinating. And just what it means to you and Kim to have uh this open relationship.
1: Okay. Um So Kim and I have been together a little bit over 17 uh, years now. And um, when we met, uh, we were both clear. We had been in numerous previous relationships and so on. We were clear that the relationship we wanted to have with each other was one that, where the where who we were as individuals uh was was the starting point of the relationship and the we saw the relationship as what we were doing to enhance our personal lives so in in that regard uh you know we worked this out over over time but it it quickly became clear that what we both wanted was certainly freedom to explore whoever we were as individuals with the notion that the reason to be in a relationship with each other was because presumably that we felt that that enhanced our lives as individuals. Uh, My sense, uh, not only from my own relationships, but from, you know, friends uh, that I have that have been in long-term relationships is that often uh, people, Feel like they need to subsume or let go of or limit certain aspects of who they are as individuals in the name of making the relationship easier, uh, more stable, uh, less full of conflict, less uncertain, what, whatever that might be. And Kim and I, from our long and complex histories, really felt like that wasn't why we wanted to be in a relationship i i i make a little bit of a diversion here i i had after being in a in a series of long-term relationships long-term meaning between five and 12 years i had been very clear with myself that i wanted to do work on myself i was at that time let's see uh 62 years old uh, or when i started this really 60 years old And i I had never been alone i had always been in a relationship ever since i was in my 20s and i knew at the end of my previous relationship that before i was in another relationship i wanted to make peace with the notion of being alone for the rest of my life Uh, basically because i didn't want to be in a relationship for the purpose of avoiding being alone i wanted to you know To not be afraid of being alone and that 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 process i'll I'll say took me two or three years really to really feel comfortable with the notion of being myself but having done that when i met kim i came together with a sense of the only reason to be in this relationship is because i think this relationship will make my life better you know more more interesting more exciting Um, i'm an adventurer in terms of relationships is going to expand my life rather than contract my life so and fortunately kim felt exactly the same way so we both came together with this notion that we are here uh for the purpose of expanding each other as individuals with the hope that being in relationship will over a period of time um make sense uh, to both of us in, in that way and you know as as we got more deeply connected to each other and and felt like we wanted to make a statement of commitment to each other we we both agreed that you know saying uh you know let's let's have a ceremony let's bring our uh bring everybody in and make a public declaration of our of our uh love and and caring about each other but we didn't want to do a forever after kind of thing because we just We just we'd been through enough ups and downs that we just didn't believe in forever after. You know, you can be in the most wonderful connection in the world at this moment. But where you're how that's going to feel in five years or what kind of unpredictable things are going to come down the road over the next five, 10 years. Who knows what that is? So we looked at each other and we said, let's make a limited connection to each other. And at, at that time, when we were doing this, it happened to be uh, July 7th, 2007, 7707. 7, 07, and Kim and I both have a thing about numbers. So we said, oh,
0: Perfect numbers to start, right? 7707. Per, 7, per,
1: 07. Yeah, perfect time. 7707. 7, 07. So yep. let's, let's make a commitment to each other for a year and a day. Well, first we said a year, but then we said, let's make it for a year and a day because then if we want to recommit to each other it will be on 7808 and if we keep on wanting to commit to each other it will be 7909 and so on and so on um so we we started to do the these commitments of a year and a day and our our latest one is coming up uh this coming sunday seven twenty
0: three twenty three.
1: yes so, um So, what do we want to call this thing we're going to do with each other we we didn't like the idea of calling it a marriage and yet it was a marriage in a way uh i happen to have this uh, 10 volume old time dictionary and i looked up the word marriage in this dictionary and it had dozens of meanings one of which was a nautical term uh which is marrying two ropes together so in the nautical world if you join two ropes together and tie them together with a knot that is smooth enough that the two ropes now function as one rope and pass through winches or whatever you might want to do together without getting hung up that process of joining of marrying two ropes is called worming Uh,
0: the
1: the, the knot that you use to do that is called a worming knot so we said okay we don't want to get married let's get wormed (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we we began our warming ceremony where and we've yeah. been doing it a, every year and a day since then, which is we we find a place, a special place that we want to be. Uh, we wear something special if we're wearing anything at all. And we sit down and we basically say to each other,, uh, if we want to, sign up for another year and a day and and we take it seriously this is not just a, a formality uh leading up to the, uh, our worming days uh, we really say you know this has been great but do i want to do this or maybe i want to do something else um starting now and having committed to you for a year in the day i fulfilled my commitment but maybe i want to make this commitment maybe i don't and so we sit there and um You know, we have always said, yes, I want to do this for another year and a day. And we say why that is. And the only rules that we set for each other and what we say to each other and our declarations to each other is that you're not allowed to plan it out ahead. I mean, you can't help a little bit thinking ahead, but don't make a speech up in your head. Just sit down at whatever time of day we decide, all right, now we're going to do this. And whatever pops into your head at that moment, you say that as to why you want to do this for another year and a day and so ever since 7707 we've been doing that every year and a day and uh that's how we uh how we define our relationship and i and i say that because uh because the the non-monogamy part of that in terms of uh not trying to own each other's sexuality but to make room for our individual sexualities to go wherever they want to go is part of this larger sense of what it is we're doing with each other in the, in the first place, which is to enhance each other as individuals rather than to try to confine and and limit who we are so for our own sense of safety, security, whatever reason it is that, that people do that.
0: I think that's that's so healthy. Uh, And I think that the more traditional married people should do this at least every five years. I mean, you do it every year in a day. But just to uh, reintroduce yourself to your your partner, to your mate. And, and And, of course, in five years, uh, even for you, a year and a day, but you're going to have, you will have grown in some ways. You will have evolved if you're keeping your eyes open and you're learning and improving, right? And um, so I think it's really important to do this kind of review, even for traditional married couples who are living together, um, to do this kind of a review and, I like the way you and Kim have structured this and it it just makes so sense so much sense and here you are 17 years later quite happy because you I am, well you can't you you say you can't plan your words ahead but you've got your your this it wait, let's see the 23rd is this Sunday isn't it yeah
1: the 23rd yeah
0: yeah so um are you thinking you're going to re up it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're we're actually in a very um very good place with each other we you know we've had our ups and downs but we are definitely in a in a good place with each other and you know what it means to me is uh you know not just at the time of the reworming but all the time in between I know that the reason that Kim is in this relationship with me today is because she right now wants to be here not because once upon a time we said we would and therefore we don't want to break our promises or something like that it's just no very much in the present she chooses to be here and i choose to be here and to me i mean that really relates to the whole non-monogamy question as well because as i see it you know if if you, if the way you define your relationship is that your partner is free to be sexual with other people, and they and they choose to act on that, and they do, and maybe they have a wonderful time with somebody else, or maybe they don't have a wonderful time. But you know, if they, no matter how much of a wonderful time they have with somebody else, if they have gone off and done that, and now they are back here with you it means that that you know you get to be with them not because you've been so clever as to prevent them from finding out that they would rather be with somebody else either sexually or relationally but because they have sampled you know connections with other people and for good and as good as those other connections may be bottom line is they come home and they want to be they want to be here with you so To me, that's that's the ultimate security. You know, it's not because I have so cleverly arranged that I've prevented my partner from meeting this other man, woman, whoever uh, might actually make them happier. No, it's that they've checked out all kinds of people on all kinds of levels, and bottom line is, you know, I'm of all the places I could be right now, I want to be here. And with all the people I could be right now, I want to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's it's really true that uh, that. That. um, Ethical non monogamy or an open relation, which includes open relationships, requires a lot of self reflection, uh, uh, good communication, of course, flexibility and compassion and you know these are the same skills that go into any successful relationship monogamous or not but but um i think y- you you two have just radically good communication um and that's really important um and and you apparently don't let jealousy uh get in the way i mean i think this is a, another reason why people have to be emotionally mature to do this (laughs) uh and 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 so i think if jealousy comes up you know it's really good to ask yourself if it's happening for yourself Not, not not you i'm talking to the listening audience now and and so ask yourself why do i feel jealous and is there anything that could be done to resolve those feelings and um what is it that you need in order to feel safe and secure and then talk to your partner uh it requires a lot of good communication because jealousy is a big thing for lots of people and of course i've worked in 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 my among my clients i have worked with people considering or trying in the midst of trying and it hasn't gone so well so i've talked about this with some of my clients yeah no i, I- I think jealousy, I think, is a very complex—jealousy
1: is like love. It's one of those words that encompasses, I think, a lot of different feelings. Like, so what what does it mean to be jealous? You know, does it mean that you think that you're insecure? Let's talk about jealous. I mean, you can be emotionally jealous, right? You could be jealous of somebody— being close friends with somebody else, you could be jealous of somebody being emotionally intimate with somebody else. But we're, if we're talking about sexual jealousy, wh- what does that mean? And I think for people, it means a couple of things. One is if you're uh, if you're not sure about yourself as a sexual partner, then jealousy can come from being afraid that your partner will find will, will be able to be sexual with somebody else in a way that is different from or greater than more important more exciting than more satisfying than the way they're sexual with you and then related to that i think for a lot of people is the fear that you're going to lose your partner that your partner you know will fall in love with somebody else or fall in lust with somebody else and that will uh in the end uh mean that they, they'll leave you for for that other person and um you know like i was talking before if 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 you were willing to accept that and i mean i don't think there are a whole lot of people who really are willing to accept that as a possibility i, I think it's a really almost philosophically difficult issue and I, I've, I've dealt with that previously In my life i had i I won't go into all the details but one very long-term relationship that i had my partner um fell in love with my best friend and um and i have you know we had an open relationship and so on but it was clear to me that the connection that she had with him was was in many ways just better for her than the relationship that she had with me not that we didn't have a neat relationship but they were wonderful together and i could feel that for both of them because i I cared about my friend and i cared about my partner and and i just found myself you know i had i I don't know if you would call it jealousy i had sadness i had fear i had uh, a fear of loss and i didn't want to lose her and so on on the other hand If you love somebody and you really believe they could be happier with somebody else, don't you have to say, do it, you know? I mean, uh, don't stay with me because it'll make me feel better. If If it's not working for you and I really care about you, I have to wish for you to do what's right for you, and which might mean leaving and you know how many people are really willing to care about another person so much that they're willing to lose somebody that might be essential to them you know emotionally financially god knows what uh that i think that's a pretty deep commitment but i i will say that that is really what i do feel so when uh any of my partners along the way or kim currently if she's being with somebody else in ways that is deeply satisfying to her I may feel some anxiety about that but but the bottom line for me is i'm happy for her which is what people talk about as compersion and uh, i it, it i feel good because i know that she is feeling good and anyway that i think that that that's the bottom line of really really to me that's what it means to love another person as opposed to trying to possess another person is you want that person to be happy of course you hope that that will coincide in a in an easy way with what makes you happy Uh, but it but if it doesn't you you want them to do what's right for them and and you also want freedom or permission or however you want to define it you want to be able to do that for yourself as well. You know, if this is no longer working for me or, or parts of our relationship are not working for me, so those parts of, of how I want to relate to other people, I really want to do with somebody else, it seems to me you want to make room for that so that your lives can be as full and as meaningful as possible.
0: Well, you express it so uh, so well and, and it requires, I think, a lot of maturity and, and self reflection, you know, and if you're, if you out there listening, um, and you want to have a talk with your partner about EM, ENT, um, ethical non monogamy, it's important to have one with yourself and ask, you know, what is it that I want and need? And what kinds of rules and boundaries are important to me? and and then once you once the person knows the answers then it's time to ask your partner the same questions and if everyone's on board then you take baby steps to do this uh you don't just jump into an orgy or find a third person on a dating app or you know take them to dinner see how you you know You've really got to do this with baby steps, and and uh, first step might be actually taking the person to dinner and discuss what's working for you. Now that's more for for swinging, which is one form of of um, ethical non monogamy. But to have these kinds of discussions requires a lot of self reflection, doesn't it? And and uh, coming out of the pandemic. Um, it's it's been it's been hard for a lot of people because um you know the pandemic forced so many of us into um a period of extreme monot- monotony monotony monotomy, uh and exposed the limitations of monogamy to many couples um and so th- some so couples are exploring this and that's one reason we're having this conversation because you're doing it, and it sounds like you're doing it very well. Um, and you two have a good relationship. And you also do the living apart together. So um, I'd like to also talk about that.
1: Uh, yeah, that part of it for, for us is um,
0: mm-hmm. yes.
1: we... Uh, uh, kim kim lives in in one place and i live with her half the time there mm-hmm. and at the time i have a, a separate place uh of my own so our schedules vary but most weeks we're together about three days a week and separate about four days a week and we we've, mm-hmm. we've been we've been doing that ever since the beginning and and uh we both fortunately we we agree about that it would be kind of difficult if one person wanted to live together all the time and the other person did not but in our case we both really really value time alone and we both really value uh time together so so we're together part of the time and we're separate part of the time i know so many other um middle-aged couples or older couples that couples who came together you know later on in life when they had established their own sense of who they were as separate people and their home and what how they like their home to look how they like their home to feel all, all that kind of stuff and when they came together then they were determined to maintain the the routines and the the sense of having their own place that they had developed and so so we've been doing that ever since and I, I really think that's a big part of what helps us uh get along so well i i think if we lived together you know i know if we were to get to a place where we could no longer afford to live in two different places and we had to live in one place together i think that would be ex- much more stressful for us than than what we're doing now
0: my my husband as as you know david my husband and I have also a living apart together relationship and um, we met each other and um, almost 13 years ago on match.com and we got married in 2018 and we have never lived together. Uh, we, we've we traveled together and been together for s- several nights in a row or days. and But otherwise he comes to my place on Wednesdays Wednesday after, uh, uh, evening, really, and then I go to his home on the weekends from Saturday afternoon to Sunday afternoon. And it, it really works for us. Um, more and more older couples stay together because they live apart. And, um, you know, I think so many older couples cherish private space and also financial independence. You touched on that just a moment ago. I mean, the day may come, and this is true for Brian and me too, where maybe for financial or health reasons, we won't be able to do this. Um, but right now, it it really works. And, you know, the history of this is kind of interesting. There's an assumption that if you really love each other, you will live together. And, you know, I I say, who says who? <laughs> you know, um, I think couples in the second half of life are rewriting the terms of their relationships, just as you are, just as I am. And rather than marry or live together, many of them have separate homes, like, like we do, and see each other several times a week, sometimes three times a month, uh, depending. And um, they just really want the personal space and the independence, and it makes a big difference. Uh, it keeps you told me in the pre-interview yesterday that it keeps it keeps it fresh and that you're not you know you're not owning each other you know your your partner is not your possession
1: yeah no i I definitely i definitely agree i i i have one very i hope you can hear there's a siren going on in the background
0: yeah Um, me too i had a siren too (laughs) Right.
1: Um, I have one friend who um lives in New York and their partner lives in Cleveland I think and they've been now together I don't know 10 12 years and they spend one one week out of every month together but you know sometimes part of it is that people have either job reasons or just personal preference reasons that they want to be in different cities and they can they can live together part of the time in that way. So, you know ba- just balancing balancing alone time and together time I, I think is uh uh really important and I I think that um there's kind of a romantic myth that grew up I don't know in the 50s or something like that that said, yeah. um the more time, you know, the more you're in love, the more time you want to spend together, the more on top of each other you want to be. And, and, um, I, I, that, that may be true for some people, but it's, it certainly is not, not true for me.
0: Well, it's not true for lots of people too, because we've had a rise of the gray divorce, so called gray divorce, and a doubling of the divorce rate for those 55 and older. And there's, um, you know there's a larger pool of consequently of single adults who may want a long-term partner and and want to make it work with a long-term partner without entangling finances or 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 even relationships with adult kids um there's a woman um susan brown dr brown she is um a sociologist and co-director of the national center for family and marriage research at at uh, Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And she did uh, a survey of 2,166 adults ages 50 to 65. And nearly one third of those in an unmarried relationship were in a committed long-term relationship, but living apart and an arrangement that that uh, and, and this arrangement some years ago be, uh, some academics began calling this living apart together and um i'm i'm not seeing the prn anymore up there i hope we're still recording uh anyway i'll just <laughs> so um just a little bit more about the statistics of this uh david can you hear me Oh, David's the one who's dropped out. Uh, yeah, uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me, David? Yeah, sorry, that's
1: uh, that's my internet. It does that about once a month, and um, it did it right now. So, yeah.
0: Oh, so are you on your phone now? I am. Yeah. Okay. So we'll go back, Dylan, uh, I, I was just starting to give some statistics. Did you hear that, David? I don't know. I was talking about no. the, the rise of the gray divorce.
1: Y- you just start mentioning gray divorce. I heard that, that was the last right. thing I heard.
0: So why don't I pick it up there? And okay. um, and then Dylan, you can splice it together. Yes. Right, Dylan? Yes, okay. Yeah, sounds good. Sorry, Okay. Just, okay. Yeah, I'll let that's
1: you guys, fine. you guys go that way. Um, like there was no interruption
0: okay thank you very much okay so all of this makes sense david because we have um the rise of the of gray divorce and there's been a doubling of divorce rate for those 55 and older and um you know there is consequently a larger pool of single adults who may want a long-term partner and want to make it work without Oh, entangling finances or relationships with adult kids, um, and by the way, the adult kids can be a problem for, for some couples, uh, especially couples that remarry after being widowed or divorced, uh, but that's another show. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I, there's a woman named Susan Brown, She's a, Dr. Brown is a sociologist, and she's the co-director of the National Center of Family, Marriage, and Research at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And she did a survey of 2,166 adults ages 50 to 65, and nearly one-third of those in an unmarried relationship were in a committed long-term relationship but living apart. And so there, then we got the uh, the living apart together, L-A-T uh, uh, term. And um, Dr. Brown expects this to become more and more prevalent. Um, yeah, so another yeah. study mm-hmm. just very quickly while we're still on statistics. Um, unmarried partnered adults between the ages 57 and, to 85 were twice as likely To have separate homes as to live together. uh, This was another study done uh, at the University of Missouri in 2017, and um, and it appeals. This arrangement, the living apart together arrangement, appeals to men and women for different reasons. She found, and that that men want to protect their leisure time. If we're still not working, Uh, I mean, my husband is still working. You're you're working. Uh, and women want to protect their autonomy. Well, I, for one, have always been quite autonomous, but anyway, <laughs> to be able to protect it. And so uh-huh. uh, both uh, need to step up to the plate, of course, if they have this arrangement, when the other one needs care. As my husband did for me after I had surgery in September, uh, February, and um, and he actually moved in with me for... About a week and a half to help take care of me and and that was that was just so reassuring and and it helped me heal yeah it helped me heal yeah. so sure they're all of the it's, these statistics are interesting and and the reasons for it um yeah uh you know you you started you talked about some people that you know that uh live in different cities altogether, and they spend time together what 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 else do you think about this um living apart together and and the the things that may appeal to people
1: well just just that balance of um time on your own and and time with your partner you know i i um i I really value time with Kim. I value time being social with other people in general. I'm kind of a social person. But, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, essentially, and a photographer. So I, 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 at least when I'm doing writing, I need to be by myself. I need to be, have times when I won't be interrupted, when, uh, when I don't have to feel like I'm on call, you know, in case uh, something needs to be done or something needs to be taken care of times that I can just know that I am only by myself. Nothing is going to come in at me from the outside world, and I can just focus internally. And if I'm writing, certainly I, I need that kind of space. I think many writers, most writers do. So I think especially for creative people, uh, it, unless you're doing creative work in association with other people, but if you're creating on your own, you, you need time just to, to stop thinking. I mean, you know, aside from whether somebody is talking to you or making noise or calling you on the phone, for me, I just need time when, I just go inside myself, maybe with no particular purpose, and see what, what develops when I, when I do that. Just uh, People do meditation practices. I've, I've never done a serious meditation practice, but in a way, I have my own uh, routine, my own practice of uh, connecting more, most deeply with myself and seeing what, what comes out of that. And, you know, as much as I enjoy spending time with Kim and as much as we may do wonderful things together, if I don't have that time alone, I, there's a whole part of who I am as a person that, that is important to me that I can only do when I'm by myself. So, uh, And I know that Kim uh, feels the same way. Uh, her Her process and her energetic system is very different from mine, but she also... Absolutely needs uh, time alone. And you know even when, even when we designated a time to be together, if it's during those three days that we're spending together, something may come up and it's like, you know right now I just need a couple hours by myself. I just need to process whatever is going on, and I want to do it alone, and we will do that. You know We will just separate for a while and then and then we come back together renewed and in in a much better place and um, actually learned in my relationship with Kim about the importance of doing that you know if there was say there's a conflict that comes up and you want to work it through and you're you're doing whatever you do you're arguing you're debating you're whatever and and you're going around in circles and You know, my notion is you just keep on working at it until you get it resolved. And Kim's notion is no, you stop and you separate and you just take some time to sort things out on your own, and then you come back together again. And it works much better if you do it that way. And and yeah, she taught me about that. She's absolutely right. There are times, at least for us that's exactly what we need to do and so we we do it and we come back together again and then we pick it up from there
0: and so many couples need to do this um uh, about half my practice is doing marriage counseling and uh and in terms of arguing and fighting i i say you know you simply have to have a time out if you're if you're so angry you've got to have a time out take a walk I like kim's approach and you you apparently like it too where you can cool down and think about it and reflect a little bit and um so i think that the doing that is good and the other the other thing is um you know i'm i'm the classic book the prophet who wrote the prophet i can't remember um but he said let there be spaces in your togetherness And so very true. And then the other thing that happens, it happens in my my marriage um, is that because Brian and I do talk to each other every night when we're apart, but um, and sometimes we have uh, sex talk because because we still have such a robust sex life, I think in part because we have LAT. But we're proud of that because we're definitely senior citizens. But when, when you when you have some time apart and you look forward to the next time you get together and you know the sex is going to be good, you know it's going to be hot, dopamine starts flowing Dop- and dopamine needs needs uh, is, is the hormone of arousal as it's sometimes called, and it needs novelty. So you know if you're on top of each other all the time and and don't have any space, you you may not have that longing or that desire for each other and that dopamine thing of anticipation dopamine comes with just anticipation don't you think dopamine is great (laughs) i love dopamine
1: (laughs) sure sure. yeah no no definitely it's um i know it just it just seems uh important rhythm of of coming together and, and separating. I mean, not, not only when anger is the issue, you know, something happens, um, something happens to you medically, or you get, you you get a phone call, and it's uh, disturbing, you know, something disturbing comes in from the outside. And maybe you want to process that, you know, somebody close to you just died, and, and it could be anything. And maybe you want to process that as a couple together. But maybe you just want to not even have to look at another person right then. You just want some totally alone time to absorb whatever it is that has come in at you from the outside and then share it with, with the other person. So, you know, I think it's really important that people in general not make Uh, rules and presumptions ahead of time as to the way it's supposed to be the way it will be work the best or whatever and pay attention to what's going on in the moment if in the moment uh what's what you're yearning for is to have somebody hold you it's one thing if what you're yearning for at the moment is to be totally by yourself then You know, it's important to to be able to say that to have the other person not take it as a rejection or you know as as something negative, but just respect uh, what what the other person is telling you. This this is what I need to do right now. I'll see you. I'll see you in an hour. I'll see you in a day. I'll see you in a week. Whatever whatever it might be, and then uh, you know, be able to just be flexible. I think uh, flexibility is really important for staying in the moment and giving the moment, honoring the moment, I guess I would say, uh, rather than trying to force reality to conform to the way you thought it was going to be.
0: Exactly, exactly. And uh, I think it's not a coincidence that this is more likely to happen for people that are over 50, let's put it at, at 50. Um, because when we're more mature, we're if we've done our work, we're more emotionally mature, and we don't have to just, well, I, I'm looking at myself. I'm quite extroverted. Um, I just retook, because I was giving it to um, a couple I'm working with, the Myers-Briggs personality inventory. I retook it again online. It was a whole lot Easier to do it online than back in 1992. I still have that file when I took it. And my letters were the same. Um, ENFJ. Uh, but so I, the first uh, um, letter is for extrovert. Some people who take the Myers-Briggs, and it's a pretty valid personality inventory because it's been around since the late 40s, um, find that that they started out as an an i an introvert but then because of their work and requirements at work they needed to become more extroverted and and many many are like that so then they're officially called ambiverts i have found that i'm still very extroverted but i more and more as i get older i value my time alone and i am doing more self reflecting and thinking about things. And of course, the fact that I see clients uh, every workday, sometimes Saturday mornings, uh, helps me with this because I think about their issues and then I do bibliotherapy, which means that I've curated uh, hundreds of articles and I often do a follow-up with them with certain articles attached that reflect what they're working on. Um, So even doing all of that reinforces some of my own journey. But anyway, I just I feel like uh, as I've aged, I need more time alone. And then but I also love the time together and all of the touching and that I get with Brian and the oxytocin is flowing and oxytocin makes us not only better partners for each other but better parents and better grandparents uh because we can be we know how important it is to touch and to hold and how when oxytocin is expressed we feel more bonded and more more connected and um so i think it's something that some some of us um uh, as we get older, we have different needs and i I definitely need some more time alone in my youth, not at all. I was a big party girl, and um just having a having a great time and really dancing up a storm and traveling and yes, and doing a, some reflection and going to graduate school and all of that but um but it's different now
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, it makes sense
0: yeah um. Uh, and so we have worked out what really works for us. And it sounds like you and Kim have worked out all of that for yourselves, too. Um, so let's talk, uh, David, about your upcut. Because your, your photography is just incredible. And um, the, the first book that I have, and then I bought another copy of it to give to my husband, um na- erotic by nature and and you published that in was it 1980 do you remember uh, 1988
1: right 1988.
0: in 1988 yeah mm-hmm. and 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 then you've you've been taking pictures of uh people having sex not at all porno not it's not pornography at all it's looking at the emotional connection between the couple and you're in the process of getting this together for a book. You're in production for it. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. In, uh, I I call it fine art, sexual photography because, um, it's doing capturing on film, um, capturing sex on film. But as you say, not from a pornographic point of view, I mean, porn, Porn is basically masturbatory material. Porn is designed for masturbation, and that's fine. But, um, but for me, the task is to try to capture people being sexual in photographs in a meaningful way. The same way that you know, if you're doing photography of people, if you're trying to capture other deep, significant human emotions with a camera whether it's joy or grief or sorrow or community or you know whatever whatever the the emotional content might be we see respected photographs in museums in art galleries all the time around all these other emotions but not sex sex because of the nature of our basically anti-sexual culture is relegated you know oh you're not supposed to you're not supposed to take pictures of that and so that world was handed over to a bunch of basic you know rebels and outlaws that became uh, and capitalists who, you know, basically turned it into the porn industry, and so a group of us. Um, this started for me in the eighties, and so on, through the feminist movement and the pro-feminist men's movement. We began to say, if if we're critical of pornography and the way it views women, in particular, and the way it views sex in general, doesn't it behoove? Doesn't it require us? To come up with an, a better alternative to that, and nobody seemed to quite know how to how to do that. So that's when I got interested, and I I, uh, I was working with a magazine in Norway that uh, an erotic uh, an excellent erotic magazine like we really don't have in the U.S. and and they uh, put me in touch with all sorts of photographers that were beginning to explore these issues. Uh, I became a broker. To get photographs for them, and in 1999, I decided I wanted to try my own hand at, at what this. What this? How, how can you? How can you take honest, meaningful, emotionally complicated, complex photographs of people being sexual when sex is such a private, personal thing? You have to have a a photographer there you have to have a camera there and do, doesn't that distort the whole process how can anybody be honest and and spontaneous and genuine while they're being sexual when there's a third person around snapping pictures with a camera that to me that was the uh, the dilemma and how do you do that so I began uh talking to people that I knew who, and this was, we were all part of the community in San Francisco of people who were exploring sexuality and exploring creative outlets around sexuality. And I, I so I asked one, I said, look, I want to try my hand at photographing people being sexual. And one couple said, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll do it with you. And the, this turned out to be people who had been to sex parties and so on. So for them being sexual in a non-private way was, was not a brand new thing, which, so that was, that was a nice place to start. And we got together, and in a very amateur way, because I was not a professional photographer by any means, I set up lights and blah, 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 and we took up we took pictures all day. Uh, I took over 1,000 pictures of them and ended up with some just really beautiful pictures of the connection that was going on between them. And I sent them to Capito, this magazine in Norway, and they loved my pictures and said, oh, do more. So I put the word out to other people. I said, "Look, I'm I'm looking to uh, do this kind of photography." And when when people saw the pictures that had come out of this first shoot, they were very excited by them. And this is a, this is black and white photography. I, I make a point of doing black and white photography in part to distinguish it from pornography. Um, People say, oh, photograph us, photograph us. So I began doing that, and that turned into a whole thing. So since then, I've photographed uh, close to 200 couples of all different ages, from 19 to 78, I think, the oldest person is. Um, thin people, heavy people, people of different ethnic groups, people of different sexual orientations, sexual preferences—as broad a, a range of people as I can as I can find. And the way that—and I photograph people at home. I don't pose them. I don't tell them what to do. The whole thing revolves around them. It started with friends, but it's since expanded. So now I'm mostly photographing people that I've never met before, and the, the whole thing is for them feel comfortable with me being there to know that I'm not being this creepy voyeur, but I'm really just trying to honor their sexuality by capturing it on film. Uh, For them to be able to relax, I almost always photograph people at home because I think that's where they're most comfortable. I meet with them ahead of time. We talk through all the the things that might come up about being in a photo shoot. So hopefully by the end Actually, it does work. And in, in the, by the time we get together, they've they've gotten a positive sense of me, and they're able to just be who they are. And I work around them. I move my lights around. I move myself around in in ways trying not to disturb them you know any more than than I need to. And the upshot of that is that I really am able uh, to capture. Uh, uh, the spontaneous, whatever it may be, it might be joy. It might be warm and cuddly. It might be passionate. It might be extreme. I've done BDSM photography of all different kinds. It, it it might be very mainstream. It you know it it doesn't matter to me what it is as long as it is who these particular people are with each other when they're being sexual. And the offshot of all of that, you know, two hundred shoots and god knows what 100,000 pictures later i i just i really have some uh beautiful photos that uh, about how wonderful sex can be and about how wonderful so many of us are in our sexuality whether we're you know the so-called pretty people whether we whether we conform to the the pre pre-assumed notions we have of what it is that's sexy, what it is that's sexually attractive. I I want my photos, when people look at them, to say to the people who are are viewing them, oh, I am a beautiful, wonderful sexual person, as, as opposed to saying what advertising tells us, which is I could be a beautiful sexual person if only I lost weight here, changed my body in this way or that way, right? So when, instead of it being a challenge to who we are, I want it to be a confirmation of who we are. And the shows that I've had, you know, it's, I'm, I'm basically a writer, but when my photography did take off, in, uh, and I, all of a sudden I, I was doing more photography than than writing. And I've had, I've had shows, I've had awards and all that kind of thing. And, and what... What people are constantly saying to me is, you know, we love your photos because because they are confirming to us, and because they do show uh, what it what is really involved emotionally, intimately, in the intimacy of being uh, sexual, which is not what you see in commercial pornography.
0: David it, it your work it, 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 now i'm having sirens i hope the audience can't hear it <laughs> but um we had a little uh technical problem in 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 a few a little bit ago um on david's side um and so we're we're going to we're going to end the show now but um i just wanted to say that i i can't wait for this Newest book of yours. I've seen you in action when you were in Seattle for the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival, SEAF as, as it's known, where you've won many awards over the years. Um, but I also saw you in action photographing a couple, and it just was amazing. It, it The whole experience. And so, and you have a number of your photographs in your book this thing we call sex which we did a show on on progressive radio network some time ago and some of your photos are in that book and they're just they're wonderful i'm just opening yeah. them to, yeah part two well, I, I mean, yeah it's just great Yeah, I just I just wanted to so the so
1: my project right now is I am putting together a book which will be probably about 120 of these couples photos. It will be called Loving Couples. It'll probably be another year or so before it actually comes out, but Mm -hmm. uh, but then that that will be the the first collection of these photos into a book uh, that I've done.
0: David Steinberg, thank you so much for coming back to Love, Lust, and Laughter, this program. And you're always just a wonderful, articulate, thoughtful guest. And I'm so glad we had an opportunity today to talk about uh, open relationships and living apart together and your forthcoming book, Loving Couples. And thank you, David. It's just been a pleasure to have you on the program again and to talk to you yeah thanks for inviting me dan
1: always always great to talk with you
0: thank you david and goodbye to everybody and um we'll i'll be back again next month um so please tune in then and uh david steinberg he's he's a treasure he's a real treasure (laughs) thank you diana You're welcome. Okay, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Have some fun. Don't forget to have some fun. (laughs) Bye-bye.